I'm at Doctrain West, and I'm talking with Robert Glushko. Uh, Robert, can you tell me a little bit, or Bob, can you tell me a little bit about uh, document engineering? What is it? It's a new term for many people, and not sure what it may mean. Sure. Document engineering, it's the title of a book I wrote uh, a couple years ago with uh, Tim McGrath. But more than that, it's a, it's a new discipline that I've been trying to formalize over the last five to ten years. Uh, in my experiences with two startup companies that I founded or co-founded, uh, one was doing electronic publishing, helping firms become online publishers, essentially, moving tech docs to first CD and then to the web. And the second company was doing business-to-business, -business, more transactional documents. And in both those firms, I essentially developed the consulting practices where we did document analysis to develop new document models and the processes which use them. And... In 2002, after I reflected uh, on that, when I went to Berkeley to be a professor, I realized that, in fact, the problems were really the same on both ends of that spectrum. So both the publishing end and the transactional end, a lot of the problems were the same in, in terms of designing documents uh, that had uh, good components that were reusable, that could be reassembled into different kinds of documents. And so I tried to systematize this notion of a document engineering which spanned what I call the document type spectrum to unify traditional data analysis with traditional document analysis. And that turned out to be a very uh, profitable synergy because many business processes, in fact, have a mixture of those kinds of documents, uh, narrative and transactional pieces. And if you don't think of them in the same way at the same time, you end up with processes which don't really work semantically. Can you give me an example of a like a document that you've engineered or... or sure, sure. So um, uh, a couple of really accessible examples are ones that I've done with students at Berkeley as part of, of uh, projects that, like a typical master's student will do, do a, like a, a project in lieu of a thesis. And so a number of my students have done projects where they've done document, docu document redesigns to enable new kinds of business processes or services. One uh, that's really interesting was that they, we took, uh, started with the observation that the berkeley.edu, the university uh, website, there were 80 different calendars that had all different notions of what an event was. So the, 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 the schools, the departments, the clubs, the performing arts, the athletic programs, the academic calendars, all had different notions of what an event was, which meant that you couldn't publish an event once on a calendar and have it reused by any other calendar. So if I wanted to invite someone to give a talk that might have interest to business and computer science and engineering students, I'd have to fill out three separate web forms. And that, of course, is inefficient, and you end up not doing it, and so people don't know what's going on on campus. So what the students did was they essentially analyzed a large number of calendars in the business process in which they needed to work with them, and came up with a, with a new model of an event that could support all those different contexts. And uh, we've ended up building a event syndication system where you publish once and then the, the events can flow based on metadata to the appropriate calendars that want to know about them. So does this have anything to do with like micro formats or anything? Uh, well, I mean, document engineering, you can think of it as a discipline for designing document models and process models that use them. And so we could design a micro format as well as a very large complicated format, say like a universal business language or a DITA or something like that. Uh, it's just a question of scale. Now, uh, I like to think that a microformat, as usually described, is really saying, let's just take what people are doing now and, and codify that as a, as a kind of current practice. So it's not really being designed as much as recorded. 
So people, the conventional ways of people describing an address or a person or things like that become a microformat that people can then embed in an, like an HTML backbone or something to reuse that amount of sort of semantics. I would think that document engineering is really where we're more likely designing a model uh, to be a best practice rather than current practice, let's say, or to be uh, a more robust model by systematically looking at the possible alternatives and looking at uh, different implementations of a model to say, let's identify where you have different words for the same concept or, or, or same concept for different, different words uh, and essentially harmonize and come up with a, with a more robust data model. So I think we would engineer is a different word than, than, than encoding. Can, can you give me like another example of maybe a different project that a student had or, or any other example of, of this document engineering? Sure. Okay. Another one that, that has the same kind of property where we looked at a number of different ways people were doing some existing document type and wanted to come up with a better way to, to support a wider range of business processes involved course syllabi. Now, we all, when we were in school, had the problem of managing, what am I doing this week in all my classes? I'm taking four or five classes and... and you know, before there was a web, we would all just sort of scribble notes to ourselves in our notebooks of what to do this week. But now you have a web, you think it should be easy to do that. But in fact, it's harder because every professor has their own web page with a different model of what a syllabus is. So what my students did was analyze a very wide range of syllabi to develop a model of a syllabus which could support all of them. And then if you encode all the syllabi in the same data model, the same document model, you can then have what amounts to a syllabus document database and then have different views of that syllabus to aggregate and slice and dice the syllabi. So now I can say, I'm taking these four classes, giving my composite syllabus, but only show me what, it, what it has to be turned in this week, or show me what I'm reading this week, or show me, is anyone using this particular reading and where is it being used? So I have these new kinds of facilities um, based on having a common model of a syllabus. And you can imagine that if everyone did this, we could ask questions like, uh, find building your own curriculum around around topics that, that might be in all kinds of different departments. You could have a, you might recognize that Plato was being taught in computer science, you know, in, in philosophy, history, classics, and you might find you sort of wade through a whole new program by having common notion of what a syllabus was. Now, you have an entire department over there at Berkeley called Document Engineering, right? It, no, 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 no. We have a, I have a research group called the Center for Document Engineering, which is, that's the secret is that at universities, a center can be just about anything. So I can have a center for research and the reproductive biology of the green tree frog, and it could just be my project, and I could call it a center. If it was an institute, it would be more important. Institute requires more professors and so on. So we have a center, which is my little research group with my students and, and projects I do, like the ones we just talked about. I'm in the School of Information, which is a real school. School of Information is a new program at Berkeley, probably less than 10 years old, so it's the newest professional school that essentially is the transformation of what might have been a library school in the past to being a school for the 21st century of information and services economy. So if a library school focuses on the public sector, information organization and use, now we're in the world of Google and YouTube and mashups and, and everything like that. And that's the, the world that my school is training students to work in. So both the public and private sectors, where business models matter, where customer segmentation matters, where usability matters, where economics matters, where law matters, much broader set of concerns. Uh, and our students go off to work at those places, but you know, some of them go work in traditional technical communication jobs or, 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 or interface design jobs, but many of them go off to, to things which are somewhat more exotic, like, like uh, uh, well, one of my students was one of the founders of YouTube. 
employee number 12 of YouTube, wow. for example. Or they work for boutique consulting firms doing things like, let's invent new XML, which enables, I hate to say this, enables those kind of very clever financial transactions that, you know, for packaging up mortgages and things like that. So, you know, some of the exotic sort of information age uh, products that you can have if you have uh, the ability to aggregate and synthesize information quickly. So the YouTube thing is interesting. So uh, did, did your student use any of these document engineering principles to make video formats uh, shareable like that? Well, I'm not exactly sure uh, uh, exactly what aspects of things they learned at our school went into the YouTube experience. But, but every student at our school has to take courses in essentially information organization and retrieval and sort of semantics 101, both in the, in the, in the wild and sort of in, 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 the, in theory. And so uh, they learn about how to apply techniques of control vocabularies ranging from simple ones like dictionaries and glossaries to more complicated things like RDF ontologies. Uh, they learn about uh, XML and how to tools for getting in and out of XML transformation. And they learn about schema languages. They learn all these things which, about, which are the sort of tools of the trade of information organization. So I like to think that we, we, we made him successful and someday he'll give us lots of money as an alumnus. He hasn't done it yet, but if he's out there listening, you owe us big time. So all these, these models that you guys create, are they then made available to the web in general or how? Sure. Uh, in, in general, I mean, the best thing about XML is the ease with which you can create a new information model. That's also the worst thing, okay, because you can do it in a way which isn't very good. But generally speaking, if you, if you apply systematic design techniques to develop like a new information model, it's probably going to be useful to somebody else. And it's certainly better to use someone else's work than start from scratch with your own work. So, so uh, there are a lot of places you can go to the web to find uh, inventories of XML uh, models. Uh, one is the Cover pages. Uh, Robin Cover, C-O-V-E-R. You can look him up. He has a whole bibliography of things XML and SGML. I happen to be on the board of OASIS, which is an international standards organization which uh, really provides a, a, a good environment for people developing these kinds of vocabularies for uh, both vertical uh, domains as well as sort of more sort of infrastructure, web services kind of, kind of problems. And we have scores of activities going on now to develop XML vocabularies and specifications of one sort or another. So that's where the home of, home of uh, DITA is, home of DocBook is. These things that you probably know about, they're all done under the OASIS umbrella now. So, okay, I just have one more question about these document models. So after, you, like, you guys create an actual document model, how do users use it? Do they tag things specifically? Is there forms that they fill okay, in? So, so a document model is a logical thing. It says, what are the, are the different information components uh, that I'm going to use in this to describe objects or processes in this domain, and how do they fit together? What are the rules that govern, you know, their combination, their possible values, and so on? Now, that's the logical view of a model. That's usually encoded in an XML schema uh, because that is uh, how you validate the creation and use of instances. So that, that's, that may be built into an XML editor or into a piece of XML aware software, uh, a web server, or some other kind of application. Uh, but in some sense, any place that model can do its job, you can build it into some, some environment. So you know, a word processor... A style sheet, in some sense, could be viewed as the schema that says, these are the tags you want to use to tag your content. But even if you tag it in, in a non-XML environment, like Microsoft Word or FrameMaker or something like that, you could be still tagging 
in a model-aware sense, we're saying these are the legal tags I'm going to use in Word, but I'm going to then have some other process, convert them to XML for reuse in some other environment. So, I mean, I mean, I want to distinguish between the, between the model as a logical construct and its realization in some physical technology as an XML schema or as a database schema or as, you know, a piece of, piece of code someplace that turns, it, that turns in that, that object into a Java class or something like that. One other thing I wanted to touch upon is uh, this notion of the transaction that you were talking about in your, your keynote. Can you explain this? Oh, okay. So I'm, I made a big point this morning in my talk here at DocTrain that a lot of what I consider document engineering or document design uh, is really important in ways that we're not getting credit for. So the example I used was I go to a website to buy something. I'm filling out a form and I pick out some product and I push, give my credit card and my name and, and then three days later the stuff arrives at my doorstep. And if you ask yourself, how was the, what was the user experience like? Many people say, oh, the user experience is basically uh, how easy was the website to use and you know, was there good feedback with the labels right and the layout right? And while those things are important, I think those are actually a relatively minor part of the user experience in terms of what really matters to me is did the stuff arrive on time when it was promised? And that really is, is much more about did those documents that are being sent between the different invisible participants in that transactional process. When I go buy the thing on the web, I'm, I'm really doing a number of transactions. I may be sending a message to the retailer you know, over the web, on the web form, but in fact, there's, there's messages being sent to the warehouse and, and to the bank that's gonna take my credit card and to the FedEx people that are gonna come pick it up at the warehouse and deliver it to me. Maybe to uh, other kinds of, of, of transactional services that maybe check my credit or that uh, maybe ensure the delivery, things like that. And those activities are basically document choreographies going on in the background. And that's what really determines the quality of my experience, that they all fit together well. And so uh, I've been trying to, to make the point here that, that user experience design is really about good information design being exposed to the user interface. And I, and I want to encourage people who think of themselves as, as technical documentation people or, or document designers or information designers to think of themselves as the enablers of user experience. And I think that's, a, that's a, something we should get more credit for. And I think that as we move to an information and service economy, everything is about information moving around. That will be even a more important way to think of things as you're, what you do. And I think that that's sort of my, my crusade today about kind of giving us document people more credit because we're actually making the world work. I, mean, I, said, I said today, if you want to buy a house, do you want to buy a house that has nice-looking wallpaper or plumbing that works? And we're plumbers, okay? But you know, we know damn well that, it, that if the plumbing doesn't work, you don't want to buy that house no matter how nice the wallpaper looks. So what kinds of takeaway advice do you think tech writers should have in terms of this user experience that you're referencing? What, what would you encourage them to do? Well, I, I think what I'm saying is that, that often in, in companies, people who are technical writers, documentation type people, are, are at the margins of these decisions. I mean, they're involved in engineering, they're sitting over the shoulders of engineering and they're trying to make sense of what's going on, but they have, what they're doing is systematizing these models that may be critical to the effective operation of these business systems. When they're writing down what's going on, they're really building those models, they're formalizing those models for the first time. And I think that we need to find ways to get more actively involved explicitly in those kind of decisions and, and really get more credit and visibility for making them. All right, uh, Bob, do you have any closing thoughts or, or is, did I ask you a good amount of questions here? 
that was all I had to say right now. Thanks very much. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate it.